0: Hey, hey, we've been in this series called This Is for several weeks, and it's, a, it's an extremely important series for his church that meets at 3210 Prophet Road and that are watching online because it's a, it's a series about hitting reset in regards to who we are called to be and what we're called to do both individually and as a church, as people who are saved by and following after Jesus. And it's important to hit reset because they are so many distractions in our world, right? So many things that distract us, and, and so many lesser things that get in the way. Not necessarily bad things, but lesser things. And listen, everything is a lesser thing compared to Christ and His gospel. Amen? All right. Great series we're in, and, uh, but we're hitting pause for the next two weeks because we're entering the Easter season. Um, today is Palm Sunday. And we want to talk about some timeless truths from Jesus' triumphal entry 2,000 years ago. And, and next Sunday is Easter. Uh, the message is the Easter secret. Comes out of the book of 1 Corinthians. It's pretty awesome. And again, we're calling it Back to Church Sunday. And last Easter, we had like uh, me and the praise team and the sound people in there, right? We couldn't have no more than nine people in this room last Easter. And I want you to know, as with every Easter, there will be peeps. There will be candy, and I will be throwing candy out to everybody. Right? Woo! Right? Where's Easter without me chunking some candy? And, and uh, the kids are not leaving first. Right? Now, they won't eat the candy, but they can grab their candy, take it back there. But you know, it, it's going to be fun to watch children diving for candy, and it's just—I I just love it. It's such a great thing. And, and uh, but before we dive into our message for the day about Palm Sunday. Uh, one of our elders, um, Tom Zachalaris, is going to come up and he's going to share a story that I think that you will find both uh, compelling and moving and motivating about the fact that we really are called like Jesus to seek the lost. Good, Tom.
1: Pastor Steve asked me to speak for a few minutes about the power of Pray for One. Now, I could spend the next 30 minutes talking about my personal Pray for One that I'm going to share with you this morning But I've only got five minutes. So you'll have to take me out for a cup of coffee if you want to hear all the details. To say that it was a miracle is an accurate description. The second greatest day of my life was this past February the 4th. That is when I baptized my longtime friend, Jesse McGee. Jesse and I first met each other in 1974 in Boy Scouts. I'm only 12 years old now. We spent, uh, this is a couple years later, we spent many days and nights together in scouting. We also cut lawns and painted houses to earn spending money. Jesse and I were very different, but we enjoyed being with each other. Now I grew up in the Catholic Church, as many of you know, and while Jesse respected my religious upbringing, he stayed at least six feet away from God at all times. Over the years, Jesse traveled in Europe, Australia, and throughout the U.S. I stayed on the East Coast uh, in Maryland and Virginia. Jesse searched for his answers all around the world. We could go for months without talking to each other and then pick up right where we left off. We didn't talk about God stuff. He knew where I was coming from and I knew that he didn't have any interest. Now here's a picture of Jesse in 2001. A few years later, Jesse would find himself in a wheelchair due to muscular dystrophy. So his searching for answers in the world changed to searching for the answer, closer to home and within. So I was able to pick up Jesse from the nursing home and later from an assisted living apartment and bring him here for a few days at a time over the last 15 years. When he was here on Sundays, he came with us to Maple Grove. He enjoyed tuning into Pastor Steve's sermons and continued doing this back at home. And here's a picture of Jesse from 2020 when he was here last at Maple Grove for my son Trent's Eagle Court of Honor. Jesse would also often comment on um, something from the sermon, or we'd talk about how people's moral compasses were all messed up. Yes, the two of us over the last 15 years were solving the world's problems, but now with a God twist. I told him on numerous occasions that I would not be the one to lead him to Jesus since we had known each other for so long. He welcomed those conversations, but we both knew he was just dipping his toes in this Jesus decision. And I told him that he had to make that decision for himself. I never pushed him, but I never backed away from my faith, and I kept praying for Jesse's decision to accept and follow Jesus. He became my pray for one many years before we started discussing that here at Maple Grove, and I wanted my friend to be with me in heaven. February the 3rd of this year, Jesse told me he wanted to be baptized. After the last 15 years of just being there, with Jesse and praying for him and our family praying for him I was up in Maryland the following day discussing with him who Jesus was who Jesus who Jesus was who God is God's plan for us how we're messed up as sinners and how we needed God's plan through Jesus to reach our father Jesse understood all this he knew it beforehand and he confessed Jesus as his savior decided to follow him as Lord from that point forward. I baptized Jesse into Jesus, and, G- and Jesus arose a brother in Christ. As I was leaving that day, I saw peace on Jesse's face, and we both knew where that peace came from. You see, when we ask, Jesus to gi- when we ask God to give us someone to pray for, don't expect a decision for Jesus right then and there. It may take years, and even beyond the time when you think it will never happen. I never gave up on Jesse, and February the 4th, 2021 became the second greatest day of my life. Twelve hours after Jesse accepted Jesus, Jesse got to see his Savior face to face. When I heard that Jesse's voice was now silent in this world, I cried. I cried the biggest tears of joy, knowing that I get to spend eternity with my friend. Whereas if he had left the world two days earlier, my tears would have been eternally different. My friend's pray for one makes an eternal difference.
0: Thank you. And some of you may want to grab coffee with Tom and hear the the rest of the story. There's some stuff in there that is just God working some crazy things that, you know, God showed up. And, uh, And so we all know people, right? You know people, family members, friends, coworkers, neighbors that are outside of christ and, and uh, I hope this story inspires you to keep praying and keep looking for those opportunities because you know our primary mission right is to bring people to a safe relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, thanks, Tom, for sharing. Um, now, I, I want to start off our conversation um, Palm Sunday, timeless Truths, uh, by reading a verse of scripture that's kind of tucked away in Luke chapter nine and uh, Ever since years ago when I came across this passage, I've never forgotten it, because it it paints such a powerful and passionate picture of Jesus' determination to accomplish the mission that God gave him, all right? And it's my prayer that this Easter season, that as you see Jesus' passion and determination to accomplish his mission, that it will motivate you with passion and determination to accomplish yours, right? Like Tom did right there. And so... As Luke chapter 9 opens up, the dark clouds of opposition are clearly on the horizon. The cross is a mere six months away. And the time is drawing near for people to draw lines and to pick sides. And the central question in the minds of everyone from the adorned crowds, the angry Pharisees, the sometimes stumbling disciples, was this one central question, just who is this guy, Jesus, Really? Now, Luke 9 is an explosive chapter. In it, we read of Jesus sending out the twelve and giving them the power to uh, cast out demons, to uh, heal diseases, and to preach the kingdom of God. In in it, we see, in Luke 9, we see Jesus feeding 5,000 people. Think about that, with just a few loaves and fish. Uh, We see Jesus asking his guys that all-important question, who do you say that I am? The one that Peter aced, I mean, he got like a 2,400 on this SAT. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. And listen, once Jesus has this identity thing straightened out, he tells them for the very first time what his intention was and what was fast approaching on the horizon for him. Luke chapter 9, verse 22. Uh, The son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and he must be killed, and the third day be raised again from the dead. And, and we hear that, and we're not surprised by that, right? I mean, two thousand years this side of the cross, we hear that. Yeah, I've heard that. I, I know that. And and hopefully, we haven't heard it so much that it just kind of runs across the surface of our mind and never moves our hearts. That this is what Jesus did. That he must suffer, and he really did. He, he must be rejected suffering and rejection are never good and he must be killed right I mean can you imagine what it was like to hear it for the first time on that day I mean Jesus had just told these guys that hey you know what I I am the Messiah you've been looking for and then in the very next breath he says and here's what is going to happen to me I'm sure it took their breath away And then right after that, the very next verse, Jesus explains to them what it means to be someone who would follow after someone who would choose to give up his life. Then he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life, whoever wants to, in other words, live for themselves, live for their wants and their desires, will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me, we we'll save it. I was having a conversation this week with someone and just saying, hey, like, do we, we think Jesus was kidding when he said this? Like, was he, did he mean it? I mean, did he really mean that to follow him, you must deny yourself, you must take up your cross every day, and you must choose to live not for your own desires and dreams and hopes, but for his. Do you think he really meant it? And if you do think he meant it, you know, how are you doing, right, with these requirements of Jesus, right? Are, are you, have you denied yourself? Are you picking up your cross daily? Are you living for him or for yourself? Now, now if I got to write this, I, I'd make it a lot easier on me, right? You know, hey, you want to follow me, say you love me, show up to church every now and then, read your Bible when you feel like it, give the money that you have left over, I would make it really easy, uh, but I don't get to make the rules. And this is the one who died, and here's what he said, right? And so, you know, I just encourage you to think about that, right? And line your life up to what Jesus has asked you to do. And then eight days after this, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John. And I always feel bad for Andrew, right? Like, they're, they're two, two sets of brothers. And, and like Andrew, he, he, went, he actually came before Peter. You know, and they go everywhere, all these cool places, and he never gets to go. Uh, but Jesus takes these three guys up to the, what we call the Mount of Transfiguration. And right before the very eyes, Luke says his face is changed and his clothes look like flashes of lightning. And, and then Moses and Elijah show up, representing both the Old Testament law and the Old Testament prophets. And they began talking. What do you think they were talking about? Well Luke tells us, it says in Luke 9 31, they spoke about his departure. They spoke about his what was coming, his death, his suffering, his rest, his burial, his resurrection, which was about to bring, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem, Luke 9:31. Peter and those with him were in deep sleep, and when they became fully awake, they saw his glory, and the two men. We're standing with him you know and sometimes i think that maybe some of us need to become more fully awake maybe the reason that i'm not and you're not seeing his glory fully is because you're not fully awake as the two men were departing from him peter said to jesus master it's good for us to be here let us make three tabernacles one for you one for moses one for elijah then it says not knowing what he said um, Mark adds this, and many believe that Mark is, is basically Peter's gospel that Mark wrote down for him. Mark says about Peter saying this, For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Right? And, and listen, sometimes when you don't know, know what to say, the best thing to say is what? Nothing, right? All right, just say nothing. And while he was saying this, Hey, let us build this altar to these three people. A cloud appeared and overshadowed them. They became afraid. As he entered the cloud, then a voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, the chosen one. Listen to him. Moses was good. The prophets were good. Or as the Hebrew writer says in Hebrews chapter 1, in the past God spoke to his prophets at various times in many ways, but in these last days he's spoken to us through his son. You see, Jesus is the final revelation. You don't build a tabernacle to Moses and Elijah and Jesus, like somehow they're on the same plane. No, he's my son, you listen to him. Jesus is the final revelation of God. After the voice had spoken, only Jesus was found. They kept silent. And in those days, they told no one what they had seen. And then Jesus comes down from the mountain, he cast out a demon. That's where we meet my favorite dad in the Bible. You know, the dad who said, I believe, help me with my unbelief. He tells his guys again that he's going to be betrayed. And and then he has to talk to his guys about what it means to be the greatest because he busted them on this journey because they were arguing with each other about who's the greatest among them. And Jesus teaches them that being great, if you want to be great, it involves humility and serving and being the least of all people. And then we come to that verse, Luke 9, 51 as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Um, some versions say Jesus set his face towards. Uh, but the word face isn't actually in the original Greek. It's the word sterizo, where we get our English word steroid. It means to establish, to strengthen, to make firm, to stand upright, to be immovable, to turn resolutely in a certain place. You see, the time was drawing near for Jesus to do what God had sent him to do. And so Jesus, resolutely determined, unmovable, sets his face towards Jerusalem, even though he knows exactly what's waiting for him in Jerusalem. I mean, do you see the power? I I, I just see the power in this moment. Jesus said, yep, it's time. He's met with... Elijah and Moses. They talked to him about his departure. They gave him words of encouragement. The father speaks down and encourages him. Hey, this is my son. Listen to him. And Jesus says, hey, it's time to turn from Galilee and begin my journey to Jerusalem, my journey to the cross to accomplish my mission. Question, was the road to Jerusalem easy? Did Jesus ever get tired? Was he ever afraid? Did he ever feel lonely? Did the load he was carrying ever seem like Sorrows to the point of death? Yes, 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 and yes. But listen, the not-go was never even an option. As the time approached for him to be taken up to Jerusalem, up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And when we fast forward six months, we find ourselves on Palm Sunday, Jesus' triumphal entry. Heavenly Father, God, I pray that as we continue to lean into your word, that we will Listen alive and actively, God, that that we will have ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to respond to what you would tell each of us today. As we enter this Easter season talking about Palm Sunday, may this Easter season be a a time of incredible uh, movement in our lives towards the purpose you have for us, to the life you created us to live. Please help me say exactly what you want me to say. Forgive me for my many sins, in Jesus' name. Amen. Ever since Genesis, ever since the fall of Adam and the call of Abraham in 2000 BC, God's people have been waiting for the Messiah. They've been waiting for their king. It was a long wait, and it was a difficult wait. Wars and famines and death and defeat and foreign occupation and political and religious corruption and so on. God's people have been waiting for a long time for the true king to come. I mean, I'm confident everybody alive was hoping, hey, maybe in our time, maybe in our generation, it would actually happen. And that first Palm Sunday, it did. I mean, earlier, thousands tried to make Jesus king after the feeding of the 5,000, but Jesus withdrew from them because it was not yet his time. I mean, throughout his ministry, we see him time and time again telling people, hey, don't tell anybody what I'm doing. Keep this miracle quiet. Why? Because it wasn't his time yet. He wanted to stay out of the limelight as much as you can when you are healing the blind, casting out demons and raising the dead and taking on the corrupt religious establishment. But then now the time has come. The tree is ripe. And Jesus is boldly announcing that he is indeed the king, not according to the plan of man, but rather according to the plan of God as revealed in his word through the prophets. I understand Jesus was a Messiah predicted by the Prophets, but not the Messiah, expected and hoped for by the people. You see, they wanted a Messiah to come in and and to overthrow the Roman Empire and throw off the shackles of the corrupt religion that was bearing down upon them and restore God's people to their past glory. And really, who could blame them, right? I mean, isn't that the kind of Jesus we want? Don't we want the kind of Jesus that will ride into maybe ride into our nation and make everything right. I mean, we can't blame them for wanting Jesus to make everything right and turn everything around. On the first Palm Sunday, 2,000 years ago, Jesus enters Jerusalem royally. He enters Jerusalem freely. He's not a victim. He's not a prisoner. He didn't hide. He didn't hurry. He did it his way on his time schedule. And he wasn't afraid. He didn't try to secretly slip into the city. He acted deliberately and with purpose making this claim to be both king and messiah. And he knew that his enemies would be watching, right? He knew it. And, 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 and I, I, think, I think he wanted them to see him one more time being treated like the king that he was and, and maybe give them one more opportunity to, to join the parade and to join the celebration of seeing Jesus for who he really is. It was high noon. The time had come for the world, for mankind to make its ultimate decision, to either acknowledge her ruler or to reject him. The time had come for Jesus to fight that great battle with death, sin, Satan, in the grave. The time was at hand for Jesus to accomplish the work that God had sent him to do. And what I want to do in our time remaining is to, using all four Gospels to read some words that the Holy Spirit thought were important to put down about Palm Sunday, and then to pull out those timeless truths. Triumphal entry. Here's a little map of it. Bethany was about two miles east of Jerusalem. The town of Bethphage was a small was a small village, right on the, on the banks of Mount Olives. It, it sat 2,600 feet above the Kidron Valley, and there you have the temple, right down there below. And his ride starts on Sunday from from Bethany, but I, I want to read something from what happened on Saturday night from John chapter 12. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. You see, there was a tradition back then that if you were to raise somebody from the dead, then they were to give a dinner in your honor. Right? That seems reasonable to me, right? I just make that up, right? Um, uh, Martha served. She... Seems to like the kitchen. While Lazarus is among those reclining at the table with him. And, and so picture the scene. You got, you got Lazarus. You got the disciples. And they're just hanging out. They're just talking amongst each other. If I was there, I, I would ask Lazarus some questions. Like, what did you see? <laughs> what did you hear? What do you remember? Did, did you hear Jesus shout anything from outside the tomb? Some were probably asking Jesus questions. Others were probably saying such spiritual things as pass the gravy. And Peter, how come you always take the biggest lamb chop? Just a bunch of friends, right? You have ever had a meal with a bunch of friends? Just hanging out, having a meal together, enjoying each other's company. Then Mary took a, about a pint of pure and an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor that's worth a year's wages? Some gospel writers say that he says, why this waste? John gives us some commentary here. He said he did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well for an account of him. I mean, the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. Isn't you know, it amazing what people will do when they don't like the truth and can't handle the truth, right? You know, let's go ahead and kill him. Let's go ahead and get rid of him. Listen, truth matters, especially God's truth, whether we like it, whether we agree with it, or whether it makes us uncomfortable or offends us. The next day, the great crowd that had come from the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him. Let's jump over to Matthew's account, Matthew 21, verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, not sure who, saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and once, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her coat by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. That will be Zachariah. Uh, Say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey on the colt and placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. And listen, not only is Jesus fulfilling prophecy, not only is he announcing that he is the coming king, but he's also making a statement about the nature of his kingdom. You see, he didn't come riding in on a great horse, but he came riding in on a donkey. And back in those days, when a ruler rode in on a donkey, that was a sign that he came in not to make war, but to make peace. Matthew continues, A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the ground, while others cut prom branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowd went around ahead of him, and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, which means save us now, to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Then Mark 11, we read, Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything. John kind of lets us know that he kind of tossed a few tables. But since it was already late, he went to Bethany with the 12. And it seems like Bethany was like his base camp for the entire final week. Okay, okay now for some timeless truths. And they're timeless Because they were true then, 2,000 years ago, and they're true now. All right, so lean in. Jesus is more worthy than possessions. Murray took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. I'm glad they said that because I would never know what pure nard is, right? You know, ladies, you ever go to the cosmetic place, hey, I like some pure nard. (laughs) And they'd be looking at you. Oh, you mean expensive perfume? Oh, yeah, we have some. Um, She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. It was worth a year's wages. You see, Mary saw Jesus as worthy because she saw Jesus for who he was, the Christ, the living God, and also because she knew what Jesus was doing. She knew what, what was awaiting Jesus in Jerusalem She knew that Jesus was dying for her, and she wanted to do something for Jesus that would express to him her great love. Uh, She wanted to do something while she still had time. And so she took the most expensive thing she had, an alabaster jar a a perfume worth a year's wages, uh, something she had been holding on for a long time. Some commentators say that it it, it could be associated with her, her dowry when she got married. So she's been holding this for a long time, saving it. Worth a year's wages. How much are you making a year? And she takes that perfume right in the middle of, of this meal and she kneels down at Jesus' feet and she pours a year's worth of wages onto the feet of Jesus and then she takes her hair, which Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11 is a woman's crown and glory, and she dries his feet with her hair. You see, the Mary, no sacrifice was too costly, no service was too, too demeaning. Mary understood who Jesus really was and knew that he was, worth more, he was more worthy than any possession, worth more than anything. You know, that, that song we sang last week as we closed, the song available, it has that line towards the end, which is so great. For the one who gave his life, nothing is a sacrifice, right? Yeah. You know, nothing you will ever give up to Jesus is really a sacrifice because he gave up his life for you. He's more worthy than possessions. He's more worthy than stuff. He's more worthy than your bank account. Do we get that? Do you get that? Do I get that? I've always liked this quote uh, by a guy named Tony Bennett from 2019 after his team um, won the championship, basketball championship. Here's what Tony said um, of UVA. I have great things in my life, my love for my wife, my my love for coaching, my love for basketball. Those are wonderful things. But when you line them up in comparison to Christ and the relationship you have with him, with what he's done for you and with what he's given you, they don't compare. Uh, That's the greatest truth that I know. Jesus is more worthy than possessions. And, And so I just asked you this Palm Sunday, 2021, is there anything you need to pour out on Jesus' feet? Like, is there anything you've been holding on to because you think to pour it out would be on Jesus' feet, would, would be a waste you know, that you're holding on to? Or are you holding on to too much of your time that you need to pour out? Well, Man, if I gave that much time to Jesus, it would be a... If I gave that much money to Jesus, if I gave that much to Jesus, it would... But listen, nothing you ever pour out for Jesus... Regardless of the result, is ever a waste. Sometimes you can feel that way. You may pour out yourself for Jesus. You know, uh, Tom poured himself out for Jesus and sharing with his, his, his friend Jesse for years. It was never a waste, and he had a great result. But it wouldn't have been a waste even without the result because he was doing it because of his love for Jesus. Timeless use number two. Jesus is more appealing than religion. The next day the crowd that had come to the festival for the Passover Heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, they took palm branches and went out to to meet him. And and think about it, right? You know, the the Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles, if you lived outside Jerusalem, were the three feasts you need to come back for. And so uh, the city had swelled, some say, to maybe three to five hundred thousand people, right? And, And they had traveled some for days, some for weeks to get to the city, so these were religious people, but apparently their religion wasn't giving them what they needed because these same very people that had traveled for so long to reach that city, as soon as they heard that Jesus was outside the city, they leave the city that they had traveled to in order to go out and to see Jesus because Jesus is more appealing than religion. Jesus was like a, a breath of fresh air blowing into the religious environment of that day. And I want to share a few contrasts between Jesus and religion. Okay? Religion emphasizes the outward. Jesus emphasizes the inward. Right? Religion emphasizes the outward of the cup. Right? Let's make the outside look good. Let's care about our image, what people see. Jesus says, no, what matters is the inside of the cup. What matters is the heart. First Samuel sixteen seven. right? Man looks at the outward appearance. But God looks at the heart. It's the heart that counts, always has been, and always will be. That's why Solomon said in Proverbs 4.23, Above all else, guard your heart. Above all else. Before you do anything else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Next, religion centers around what you can't do. Jesus is about what you can do. Religion is about a bunch of thou shalt nots. And i said it before, but too often the the church and Christians, we're known for what we're against. Right? And not what they're for. But understand, we we are for love, we're for compassion, we're for mercy, we're for justice, we're for grace, we're for helping people out, we're for building great families, we're we're for, um, for right living, and we're for the kind of truth that sets people free, right? Let's be known for what we're for not where we're against. Next, religion puts up barriers. Jesus pulls down barriers. First, he pulls down barriers between, between sinful people and God. And we'll read this in Mark chapter 15. When it was noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. So how many hours was there darkness? Anybody good at math? Started at noon... And it was dark till three how many hours three hours three hours three hours good we got some math teachers in the room awesome okay anybody know how many days the plague of darkness was take a guess come on yeah three yeah. Woo! three not an accident right Three days of darkness prior to God's deliverance. Three hours of darkness prior to Jesus' deliverance, right? There's no accident. And then I, I just want to jump down to the end of what we read here in where Jesus breathed out his last and let out a cry. And then it says the curtain of the sanctuary. And that was a thick curtain. It, it separated the holies of holies, right? Only the high priest would go in their one time a year on the Day of Atonement, right? Tradition says they put a rope on his feet and bells on his ankles, right? So like if they didn't hear the the bells ringing, they could yank him out without going in because you don't go in there without permission. Uh, You could ask uh, Aaron's two sons how that goes when you, you do what you're not supposed to, right? And so this thing that separated God from his people, it thick veil ripped from top to bottom, indicating who ripped it. God ripped it. And the barrier between sinful people and God had been torn down. Jesus brings down barriers. He also brings down barriers between people and people. In in, uh, Ephesians 2, uh, Paul is talking about how God brings the Jews and the Greeks together through the gospel. Here's what he writes. Ephesians 2, verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, barrier between Jew and Gentile, the dividing wall of hostility. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. Their hostility between each other was put to death by him on the cross. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both, Jew and Gentile, have access to the Father by one spirit. Breaking down the wall of hostility, the dividing wall between people and people. Paul says in Galatians, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female. For you're all one in Christ Jesus. He says those distinctions are gone, right? Distinctions that are used to divide people. Understand, the gospel is about bringing people together into one family, into God's family. And, And that's why I categorically reject any philosophy, any teaching, any worldly system that wants us to keep dividing ourselves, even as Christians, because of our gender, because of the color of our skin, etc., 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 right? The gospel is about us being one and united in Christ, into one family. And I reject things that want to divide us. We can, we can love our diversity, right? Diversity is awesome, but diversity does not have to divide us. Amen? We can appreciate our differences, but they should not divide us because we are one in Christ. Jesus broke down the barrier between Jew and Gentile and between all people. Uh, religion says work your way to God. Jesus says I'm the way to God. See, religion is performance based. Hi ho, hi ho, it's off the urn I go. Right? And anybody ever see Snow White? Did you know, I may have showed this before, I used to to think it was, hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off the work, I go. That's not what they sing. They sing, hi-ho, hi-ho, it's home from work we go. They actually sing that. Check it out. When I I found that, I go, wow, you're kidding me. I had it all wrong. But again, religion is performance-based. Jesus is grace-based. See, the gospel is not about human achievement. It's about divine accomplishment. It's not you do, but rather I have already done for you. See, at Maple Grove, we're not about religion. We're about connecting people to a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus is more worthy than possessions. He's more appealing than religion. Scripture is more reliable than opinions. Amen? Amen? A lot of opinions out there back then about who Jesus was, right? Some say Moses. Some say Elijah. Some say one of the prophets, right? all those pinions were what? They're wrong. Closest one was that maybe he was a prophet, but that's still wrong. He was so much more than a prophet, right? And in and, and, and Scripture, you know, th- you know, during the uh, entry, two times the Old Testament is quoted, the Zechariah passage, right, about him riding in on a donkey, here your king comes, and the part about Hosanna the Highest, that's from Psalm 18, right? The, the show that that Jesus was the He was the fulfillment of Scripture, right? You know, Scripture that said who Jesus was was more reliable than the opinions of people. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of God endures forever. Listen, Scripture is more reliable than the opinions of men and the philosophy of this age. Amen? The Scripture is more reliable... Then the opinions of men and the philosophies of this age, listen, 4,000 years from now, all the opinions that are all over the place right now, guess what? There'll be dust in the wind. But the Word of God endures forever, right? And, and that's where we need to build our lives on, on, on the Word of God. You know, today, everyone has an opinion, and they want everybody to know their opinion, Right? And they're going to put that opinion on podcasts and on YouTube and on, and on Twitter and on Facebook posts and on TikTok and on the... You name it. At, at awards... At award, anywhere they get, they're going to show their opinion. And here's the deal. Whenever an opinion of men conflicts with the Word of God, that opinion is wrong. Period. End of story. Right? It's just wrong. And real security... And confidence comes when our lives are both built on and governed by God's Word. Amen? And now, Jesus kind of talked about that, right? I mean, what are we going to build our lives on? You know, Jesus said, when you hear my teachings and you build your life upon my teachings, then your life can withstand all the storms that come with living in a broken and falling world, right? It can withstand them all. But, but the person who chooses to say, you know what, I'm going to build my house on something other than Jesus' words. I'm going to build my house and my life on something other than the word of God. He says what? It's like a foolish man who builds his house on sand. And the winds blow and the waves come up, crash against that house, and it falls with a great crash. Jesus is more worthy than possessions. Jesus is more appealing than a religion. Scripture is more reliable than opinions. And, and, and here's the deal. Um, if we don't know Scripture, we're not going to know. Because a lot of people, when they give their opinions, they're saying their opinions are Scripture, right? <laughs> I heard some guy on TV say something about an issue. He goes, that, that's, not, that's not the way Jesus is. That's not the way God is. So I'm thinking, that's exactly the way God is. You know, so some people who have opinions are going to act like they're actually God's opinion. right? And the only way you're going to know even now, right, whether this is Steve's opinion, right? And my opinion it ain't worth nothing, right? Any way you're ever going to know if the opinion, it really is the truth, is what? The Bible, right? You know, the Bible, you know? As I like to say, this is the ultimate fact checker right here, right? where you can check me and check any other opinion out there, right? But if you don't know, and someone says, well, Jesus is like, like oh, yeah, yes, he is. That sounds like Jesus. Well, what does it line up with Scripture? Right? Scripture is, is our authority. Without that, we're just kind of like floating. Um, about the unfollowing is more important than observing. There are a lot of people observing to pray that day, right? You had Roman soldiers, you had Pharisees, you had the Curious, you had the zealots holding their swords, hoping Jesus was about to overthrow Rome. You had the still struggling disciples. A lot of people following. A lot of people observing, rather. And it's good to observe. Uh, But listen, eventually, your observation must lead to participation. Uh, To leaving the cheering crowd and walking between the chalk lines and entering the field of play. See, Jesus did not call you to observe him. He did not call you to simply admire him. He called you to follow him. He called you to be like him. And he called you to be like him now. See, here what I think is, and this is really important. I think one of the greatest lies of Satan. He has a lot of them. That's why I say one of them. It could be one of a hundred. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But I think this is a great lie of Satan. Like, I don't think anybody in this room would say, you know, I disagree with you that I must deny myself I disagree with you that I need to pour anything out in my life for Jesus I, 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 don't, I disagree with you that Jesus must come first in all things you know um, but not right now see Satan gets to say yeah it's true I accept all that and someday I'll do it right Someday I'll get around to putting Jesus first in my marriage, first in my finances, first in my time. I agree, it's super important. We should do it. So he doesn't get us outright and say, no, I'm not going to do it, Jesus. I'm not going to put you first. You kidding me? Jesus, who do you think you are? No. He can say, Jesus, I'm going to put you first. But like the people we met last week. I'll follow you anywhere, Jesus, but first let me do this. First let me do what I want to do. First, let me live the life I want, and then and see. You know, partial obedience, delayed obedience is what disobedience, right? And I think it's one of his greatest lies. You know, we just say, "Oh yeah, I, I agree. I should read my Bible." Well, I know I should read it more, but we don't. <laughs> but we agree with it. See, he doesn't get to say, "No, I should never read my Bible. Reading the Bible's dumb." Huh? has nothing to do with being a Christian. No, he gets you to say, yeah, it's important, but you just don't need to do it right now. Someday you'll do it, and that's, that's good enough. And it's not. Jesus said, you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them, all right? He just said, you'll be blessed if you observe them, blessed if you write them down, blessed if you preach a sermon on them, Steve. You know, he says, blessed if you, if you do them. I want to live a blessed life. I want to live a more blessed life. And to live a more blessed life, I just do more that Jesus tells me to do because he wants to bless me. Not to earn his favor, but because I already have his favor. Not to earn his love, but because I already have his love. And it's our response to him because how much he loves me. And finally, surrendering to him is more advantageous than rejecting him. And there's this scene and only Luke records it, and he wasn't even there The triumphal entry. That when Jesus gets like to the crest of the hill, he looks down on the city and he just begins to weep uncontrollably. The word used there is not like, like a tear rolling down your cheek. Have you ever weeped so hard? Maybe you lost a loved one where you're, I mean, your whole body is just quivering and shaking uncontrollably. Right, Jesus is on this donkey. And far as we know, no one even noticed. to so say, hey, yo, dude, you okay? <laughs> Jesus, you all right? You all right, man? They're too busy celebrating. But he's looking at the city, and he is just weeping uncontrollably. And the reason he was weeping, because he knew what was coming for the city. He knew that they were going to reject him, that the religious leaders were going to kill him. And he knew that in a few decades, that on seventy in 70 A.D., that the Roman army would come in and decimate the city, destroy it, no no stone left upon itself in the temple. And so he he could just see the devastation that was coming because they rejected him as their king, because they would not acknowledge him. The, the, the The way Luke said this at the end of that, he says, they will dash you to the ground you and your children within your walls, they will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of your salvation. So he wept. He wasn't happy about it. There's only two times in Scripture that Jesus weeps, right, that we know of. One is that famous passage everybody, when you ask, hey, you got a memory verse? <laughs> you know, we do verses at students every Wednesday night. Every now and then people say, yeah, I got Jesus wept, right? That's my memory verse. Um, and he wept in John 11, outside the tomb of Lazarus. I think he just wept because of the brokenness, right? Like, this wasn't the plan. People weren't supposed to die. You know, sisters weren't supposed to lose their brothers. And I think he still weeps today at the brokenness of our world. When he sees injustice, Uh, When he sees things like what happened in Boulder, what happened in in, in Orlando, uh, when when he sees what happens in the streets of Chicago, when he sees what what happens when children are starving, when he sees what happens when you get a bad report from a doctor. I think Jesus still weeps today when, when he sees the brokenness of this world. And I think he even weeps more when he sees people and he knows that they will reject him. That they will refuse this free gift that he offers. And he knows where they will spend eternity. Right? I think he just weeps. He doesn't want that to happen. But he knows, right? But I'll tell you who he's not weeping for. He's not weeping for Jesse. Amen? He's not weeping for Jesse. You know? He's celebrating. You know, I was thinking the other day, you know, that if, if there's one way I know that I can, and you did it. You know, you know, on February the 4th, right? You know, it, it, you did it on that day. You know, you caused that day for there to be rejoicing in the presence of the angels in heaven, right? You did, because Scripture says that whenever a sinner repents, there is joy, much rejoicing in the presence of the angels. When well, who's rejoicing? God. And on February the 4th, Because you're being faithful to praying for one, you cause there to be great rejoicing in heaven. That's good stuff. Jesus is more worthy than possessions. He's more appealing than religion. He's more reliable than opinions. Following is more important than observing. And surrendering is more advantageous than rejecting him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. And Lord, each of us, you probably have something you want to say. Maybe it has to deal with uh, our possessions. And maybe we're doing more observing than following. Maybe we're embracing opinions more than your scripture. Maybe in some ways, God, we are not surrendering parts of our Touch of our lives to you, or maybe God, we've embraced unknowingly religion, and somehow we think that by reading our Bible and doing the things you've asked us to do, that somehow that earns our way to you, rather than just expresses our love to you. And so, God, I thank you that we can come into this place and worship you. Got thousands surrounded you, Jesus, praising you and shouting Hosanna in the highest. Lord, save us now. And Lord, we say, Hosanna, save us now. Save us now from our selfish ways. Save us now from our distractions. Save us now for valuing temporary things more than eternal things. We thank you for your faithfulness, God. And I pray, Lord, right as we sing and worship, that you would just draw us closer to you. That maybe we even picture you sitting on a donkey right now and us waving palm branches, just praising you for who you are. Holy Spirit in print to take away the message you have for each of us on our hearts just now. In Jesus' name, amen.